0: Hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for Suck Attack, the number one comedy podcast about comedy, podcast. and here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster, Mark Hershaw.
1: Yes, Mark Hershon here, and you're listening to Epi 68 of Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast. Thank you, Bill Haywatt, and thanks to our producer engineer, Joe Polino, and also our booth assistant, Kenny Durgis. Now, I realize you've not heard a lot from the support staff in recent episodes, but that's mainly because Studio P has been very busy. They're booked up, and there's not a whole lot of room left for them in Studio F, also known as my Fiat 500. I was going to start off this episode with a ramble, not a rant, but a ramble about the medium of podcasting based on an epiphany of sorts, which I had while thinking about this show. It was going to be about how I suddenly realized that podcasting really is its own medium. Some people, in trying to describe it, referred to it as radio on the internet. And in a sense, I suppose it is. As much as back when television was introduced, it was referred to by many as radio with pictures. And before that, radio was often referred to as vaudeville for the ears. You you get the idea. Anyway, before I could put my ramble together, I ended up interviewing this episode's guest, comedian, actor, and now podcaster himself, Jimmy Schubert. And we ended up discussing that idea in some detail, so I will let that go for now. Jimmy and I talked about a bunch of things about his career and about one of the defining periods in his development as a nationally touring headliner uh, was when he was
2: traveling on the road with and opening for Sam Kinison.
1: Here's a taste.
2: For me, uh, being a part of the Comedy Store during that era uh, during the co- was, was really kind of my college. I got to watch some of the best comedians in the country. I got to tour with the late, great Sam Kinison, who was uh, certainly uh, uh, a guy who was... You know, doing something really unique at that time. I mean, it was a lot of guys were doing unique stuff, but I thought Sam was play a pretty influential comedian. But uh, you know, when he was just doing straight stand up and wasn't like whacked out of his mind, I mean, he was pretty
1: brilliant. There's a lot more where that's coming from up in just a few minutes. Also coming up this show, we have episode seven of Bogan Wood, the podcast mini series from Jason McNamara out of Australia, and a double burst of Durst. But first, let's take care of a little business and maybe get to a clip or two. Did you know that Succotash is an Amazon associate? That's right. Just like a lot of other podcasts. So we may as well get our shot at the big bucks too. If you cruise over to our home site, SuccotashShow.com, and slide down the right-hand side of the page, you'll see a little Ferris wheel of DVDs and books, most of which I've written. Some Hallmark Channel movies, my I Hate People business book, stuff like that. Now, you don't have to buy any of that, although if you did, I'd be your bestest friend. But when you click on that ad, you'll be whisked over to Amazon.com, where you can buy anything you want. And when you do, they'll kick us back a few drachmas just for showing you the way. Nothing extra charged to you, so do ourselves a favor and click through us to get to Amazon. It's not that Amazon is really a sponsor of the show, though. We are brought to you by Henderson's
0: Pants. This is the sound of power. This is the sound of confidence. This is the sound of style. This is the sound of liberty. This is the sound of security. This is the sound of Henderson's Pressure Cooker Pants. In today's world, the simple act of living your life can unexpectedly lead to serious, even lethal consequences. That's why you need Henderson's Pressure Cooker Pants. The power of heavy-duty stainless steel plating, combined with the flexibility of airtight silicone gasket sealants, create a fit that's comfortable, stylish, and able to withstand near-field medium to moderate explosions without missing a step. Fight back. Put the power of the pressure cooker to work for you. With Henderson's DHS approval pending pressure cooker pants, slacks, and athletic wear. Originally designed for executive chef assistants, marathon runners, and the military, Henderson's pressure cooker pants are available wherever fine culinary accessories and Army surplus and survival gear are available. That's Henderson's, cooking up the best in protective fashion wear since 1863. And now, back to more of Suckatash.
1: If you're like me, one of the things that drives me crazy when I listen to podcasts are those whiny podcasts begging for you to go over to iTunes and rate and review their shows. I mean, come on, really? It isn't enough that they're spending hours and hours of their time to crank out original entertainment that we don't have to spend a dime for. Now they expect us to help them break out of the clutter of the literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts by spending a minute to click on five stars and then type out a couple of sentences telling the world how much we enjoy their podcast. You know what? Let's teach those podcasters a lesson, shall we? Use reverse psychology. I mean, They don't think you're ever going to rate and review them on iTunes, so do just that. Rate them, and then start telling all your friends about your favorite podcasts. Even show them how to download or stream them. That'll show those podcasters you mean business. And just to kick things off, go up to iTunes right now and teach me that lesson first. Hi, this is Joe Klosik, and you're listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast. It's actually the comedy podcast podcast. It's the comedy podcast podcast. I've just been informed. Last week, we had a few clips provided by honorary associate producer Tyson Saner. Tyson has sent more clips in, but because of our interview with Jimmy Schubert, I really won't have time to get to them, so Tyson, I'm sorry. Uh, there is a shelf life to these things, but I think they'll last another episode, so I've got a bunch to, uh, to get to from Tyson next episode. So thank you, Tyson. We do appreciate you sending those in. We've had a lucky run of recipes for Succotash to play at the end of the show, and this week, I'm happy to say, is no exception. With our friend Kat Soren over at the Rigid Fist, and also from the Strange Times podcast, supplying us with his recipe for Seamus Succotash. Stay tuned, past the closing credits, for that one. I have a brief snippet from Epi 329, the latest installment of the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, where our friends Dean Hagelin and Phil Lernis have just finished shooting their movie, The Lady Killers. They recorded their latest episode literally at their wrap party, which was held at the home of one of their cast members, who they honored by
3: calling... The Chill Pack Hollywood Wingnut of the Week. So... Jamie Kaler, uh, I first encountered Jamie as an improv, uh, not an improv, like a sketch comic. Sketch comic at Acme uh, Comedy Theater. Where I have performed many a time. And uh, he was in uh, in the company there at Acme. Oh, yeah. And that's how I got to know him. And uh, when I was casting the Party Crashers, yeah. uh, I wanted to fill in some of these roles with people who were uh, had background in improv, right. background in sketch. Because I thought, you know, uh, Party Crashers, again, uh, is this film where most of the action set at this party, and we're doing a lot of masters. And yes, you're following the action of the plot, but you have so many people filling in the frame, and you wanted them to be able to explore character, even though it their action was not necessarily scripted. Right. And so I ended up using almost every bit of footage that I had of Jamie playing the bartender in it because it was so real and so interesting. And so for years, I've been dying to have the opportunity to work with him again. He's, of course, gone on and had a successful career as an actor and a stand-up comic. And now here we are uh, at the end of 24 days of shooting, and he's hosting our wrap party. You can find the Chill Pack Hollywood
1: Hour at chillpackhollywood.com itunes and stitcher smart radio they are also on jackalope radio most of our regular listeners know that i not only host this show but i'm also a reviewer for this week in comedy podcasts over on splitsider.com and this week i give a listen to the paul mercurio show paul a recent past guest on Suckatash, just interviewed one of my favorite stand-ups brian Regan, on his show and here's a sample
4: one of one of my jobs was always to make sure that you remembered where your room was because you you can't do numbers. If it's three numbered room, you would get very confused. I remember on the road, <laughs> <laughs> it would be, you'd be like in room I don't know nine oh eight, and you'd look for oh eight nine, and it, like Brian, it doesn't work that way. It was it, it was exhausting, folks. I got to be honest. With you.
5: No, this is I mean, true. I, I actually checked into a room one time, and uh, the you know you play a big city one day, and then you're in a smaller city the next day, and um, you know, sometimes they kind of melt together. Yeah. So they gave me my room key, and it said, uh, you know, 2015. Yeah. So I said to the woman at the check-in desk, so I said, so I'm on the 20th floor, and she gives me this look. She says, we only have two floors. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't look oh. up when you walked in the building, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, then I guess I'm on the second floor. <laughs>
4: The other thing you do that's always amazed me, and uh, I don't—I don't think this is too personal—but like Brian likes to unwind. You know, some people like unwind after a long, especially performing, like big theater shows. Maybe a glass of wine or like a mixed drink or a beer or something. He'll—he'll uh, he'll just order a pot of coffee to his room and then fall asleep. Like, <laughs> I swear to God, I want like scientists to like look into your body. Like, how do you how do you not how are you not amped up after that? You're the only guy that I know uses coffee as a sedative.
5: I I know. I um I drink coffee at, you know, very odd times. I, I live in Las Vegas. I like to golf and sometimes it's hundred and fourteen degrees outside. And the <laughs> beverage cart girl will come around and she'll say, you know, would you like a nice cold drink? And I'm like, I want a nice hot coffee. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then the next uh golf cart to come around has a psychotherapist on it. Hey, <laughs> do you need a consultation? Um, as long as I can drink hot coffee during it. <laughs> do, do, do you also ask for one of those like hot hand
4: towels that so you get at fancy restaurants to wipe your face and hands when you're at 114
6: degrees? <laughs> yeah.
5: yeah, I've been on uh, overnight flights, you know, red eyes from yeah. west coast to east coast, and um, yeah. like you say, okay. I can I can go to sleep after a cup of coffee, and I remember. There was a woman sitting next to me on the flight, like, and she, you know, she ordered like a glass of red wine, something to make her go to sleep before the plane took off. And the flight attendant said, how about you? And I said, I'll take a black coffee. And this woman just went, oh, (laughs) like. You could tell she was just thinking, oh, my light's going to be on. I'm going to be sitting there playing with a paddle ball thing, you know. With the... <laughs> right, while
4: you're, while you're trading stocks. Buy, buy, sell,
3: sell.
4: <laughs> I want
5: corn futures, four billion of them. Yeah, and I, I was asleep before she was, you know.
1: So go check out my review. Also, uh, check out Paul's show. He's got great guests, so subscribe to him on iTunes. Get him over on his home site at paulmccurio.com or from the thesideshownetwork.tv. Uh, that has a whole bunch of comedians podcasts up there. And now it's time for...
0: The 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast List!
1: My interview with Jimmy Schubert is coming up, but first, it's time to take a look at what shows have either jumped up or slid down the most in this week's Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast List. At number 28, Burt's Podcast is down 15 places. At 34, Smodcast, Phoebe, Four Eyes and Beard, up 60 places this week. At 49, The David Felbin Show, up 18 spots. At 52, Moment of Clarity is up 27. At 68, The Champs with Neil Brennan and Moshe Kasher down 32 places. At 76, Jordan Jesse Go is down 30. At 83, The Dana Gould Hour is down 17 spots. At 86, another Smodcast offering. Get up on this is up 61 places. At 95, Dining with Doug and Karen, down 40 spots. And just barely squeaking into the top 100, Super Best Friend cast, up 99 places. And that's your...
0: The 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast
6: League.
1: So although I have limited time for clips this week, I did harvest one from the top 100 from uh, Stitcher, the one that squeaked in there, Super Best Friendcast, with co-hosts Wooly, Liam, Matthew, and Pat. I'm not sure why this is on the comedy list, to tell you the truth. I mean, it seems like an entertaining show, but it's really about the latest in games. Mostly video games, it seems. So unless you're really into games, this might not be your favorite comedy podcast listen. But let's check it out.
7: Uh, we're and we're sitting in a different order this time around, so I That's guess weird. we'll Ooh. go
8: counterclockwise and start with Matt. What have you been up to? Uh, Take it away. Uh, what are you doing, guy? I think I guess the you know, like sort of what we just kind of completed is that me and Pat started uh, playing Killer Is Dead. We both really, really, really like it so far. Yeah, I hear good things about that game. I, I also some really bad things, mostly from American media, mostly actually exclusively, almost that don't know how to play character action games, and also well. You sort of. And also, we don't like weird Japanese shit anymore. Mm. I think me and Pat talked about how no one cared about Bayonetta 2 at E3. No one was yeah, covering it. it was sad. Mm. It and was because sad. it's a weird Japanese thing. Uh, like Playing through Last of Us, it really makes me feel that like now it's like, if your game isn't an AMC show or an HBO show, how did you feel when so-and-so did this? The idea- it's like...
9: The idea of an
8: empty Bayonetta booth at a game show just makes my teeth hurt. Yeah. It wasn't I, empty. It wasn't empty. It was just like not... The, the, the energy was kind of like just okay. not there. An eighth of the size of yeah. Rise's line. God. Yeah. Actually not. Nobody, nobody, was, was nobody was playing Oh, okay. <laughs> we were playing right It was easy to get in. Uh, but yeah, we were playing Killers, and we both really like it so far. And uh, just just yesterday, I had a really cool time playing a new light gun game I never knew existed, Ooh. and it was it's a year old. What? Which one? Right. Uh, me Fuck you. True light gun, as in like response, or just cursor? Yeah. Uh, me and my ladies, we went to uh, go see a movie. Me and my lady. I was <laughs> gonna say, you're
0: trying to make this. Maybe sound there's like, multiple of them. I wasn't me and my lady. She's ladies. gonna be fucking pissed. Nah, she didn't one. notice that the other one was there the whole time. Anyway. <laughs> Yo! Matt is a master pimp, man! <laughs> you're I, got, not worthy. I got this one you're in my not coat.
4: <laughs> uh
8: we went to go see a horror movie called You're Next, which is actually a really, really good independent horror movie, but in the arcade section, they had uh, House of the Dead 3. And I remember Pat telling me, House of the Dead 3's got this bullshit shotgun.
0: The shotgun feels good, but, like, the whole game is shit because Because you pump it, it yeah.
8: to be yes. low, right? It's yes. a good feel. And yeah. we, play- we played it. We put- sunk, like, $10 into it. We got really... I'm like, oh, this is really cool. But I kept hearing screaming somewhere in the in this movie theater somewhere. And I was like, girls are going nuts somewhere. I'm like, I'm go check that out. Did you
2: say that they were going
8: nuts? They were going nuts. And I go there, and they had this gigantic... <laughs> Gigantic cab. It's like uh, the Lost World Sega shooter or Confidential Mission. You, huge. Go in, you go inside and you oh, sit down, man. and there's little tarps. To, yeah, yeah. So it's to called block off all other. It's senses. called uh, like Dead Escape 4D. Anyone <laughs> here? No.
6: Wow. Da- or
8: Dark Escape the Fourth 4D. Dimension Namco Tesseract Namco. Namco. Okay. When you go inside, what it is? It's a 3D game. It's got glasses. That are connected to everything. Okay. You put it on, you sit down on a bench, the bench vibrates when things happen. Yeah. It does. Gusts of wind shooting your face and monsters come in. There's 5.5, 5.1 surround with a subwoofer. It's
0: wow. not as
7: impressive as nine point two, but go on. Sure.
8: You oh, bet you have God. a fucking turret you hold a turret and it's got send, uh, uh, pulse sensors, sensors
6: on, on
7: it. it.
8: Wow. So you put all it's every gimmick all at once That's and it's basically House of the Dead but with way better graphics and all this shit comes at you monsters come at you they break through the glass the wind hits you in the face it's Jeez. you can't hear yourself think because it's so loud and the only thing problem with it was it wasn't really a light gun game it was like Terminator 2 the arcade game mm. where you move the cursor around
1: i'm beginning to think these guys really like games and if you do too find more at superbestfriendcast.com itunes and stitcher smart radio friend of succotash adam harris just posted epi 200 of his podcast the stand-up chronicles Way to go, Adam. That is interviewing a lot of comedians. And in honor of this momentous occasion, here's a clip of Adam interviewing Tom Wilson, who's a stand-up and actor, and he's best known for playing Biff Tannen in the Back to the Future movies. And he's also a podcaster now, by the way, with his big pop fun show over on the Nerdist Network. In this clip, he talks to Adam about playing Coach Fredericks in the cult TV hit Freaks and Geeks.
7: That. let's get into where you played Coach Fredericks Mm -hmm. on Freaks and Geeks. Mm -hmm. And here's what... Uh, Judd Apatow wrote about you in the Freaks and Geeks yearbook edition of the DVD set. He said nobody is funnier than Tom Wilson. Mr. Fredericks is a wonderful character because Tom was able to showcase his vulnerable side and his asshole side in equal measure. Any thoughts on that? Well,
9: I think that's true, but I think that comes from um, I think that comes from my own like humanity underneath just being a big person. Looking like a football coach, but not having anything close to the life or experience that an actual football coach would have mm-hmm. so and which is not to say that football coaches lack heart, they do, but they've been communicated because they were on the football team, and that that's the manner in which men communicate to each other on that track, mm-hmm. you know. We know what we're talking about. The guy who, if you don't understand what I'm saying, I'll just yell it louder and get in your face, and whatever, whatever. I don't know what they do—make you sure. do push-ups or whatever. And I came from an exactly opposite environment, but I ended up playing football coaches, uh, like or, or you know, a gym teacher like Coach Fredericks. So when you know, I can cre- Well, of course, I think Judd is very generous and all that stuff, and crediting me with bringing that stuff out, but it really was Judd. And the writers uh, uh, trusting me to be able to play that stuff when they wrote it in the script. Which is, oh, this guy's actually a human being. When he sees Sam in trouble or confused, he can actually reach out to a kid and be a decent guy. Well, it could
7: have been a very one-dimensional character. Right. But then once you start dating Bill's mom, that kind of completely changes. Right. You know, you see him all of a sudden having to... Uh, want to be accepted by the geeks. He is the vulnerable guy. Yeah.
9: I mean, the coach, the gym teacher, becomes the vulnerable guy because he's trying to get these kids to like him now. Yeah. He's just trying to impress upon them that he's a normal person. He's not just a gym teacher monster that they think, especially Bill. Right. Especially Bill. The weird thing is that exact thing happened when I was in high school. Yeah. to to, uh, to me, you know. yeah. Mm-hmm. The football coach of my high school uh, w- began dating the mom of a friend of mine, who was who and and this girl had only nerdy friends, like myself. So I I, I remember the scene indelibly. You know, we're at some barbecue or something at her house, and he's there, uh-huh. and doing the same kinds of so. What do you? do you guys what are you guys up to over there <laughs> that thing the uncomfortable guy who we stare at each other across a chasm yeah because our experiences are so different and you're trying to uh, you know reach across that the chasm which is most let's face it which is most good movies and television so when you see that in the script for the first time do you go oh
7: I got this oh sure this. yeah
9: I thought it was terrific I thought it was terrific I, I loved it and I love the fact that that initially, You know, Bill was hurt by it, right? Which is which is what Freaks and Geeks was about. I I love the show because everything had consequences. Yeah, they didn't just make the joke. Oh, Jim Coach is dating the guy's mom. They actually went through what he felt about that Mm -hmm. and the hurt he felt, and then having these two guys from opposite ends of the spectrum. sort of try to make peace with one another
7: even when you're sitting and you can see your character pulling back at times too Mm -hmm. you know i think you're sitting around um the 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 the, the dining room table and you're having breakfast in the morning and you know you're talking about uh what movies you like and so and bill says uh something about bill murray being the funniest uh person alive and you're like well he's a smart ass but then you're like ooh, okay better pull back a little bit here because i gotta get this guy on my side right yeah right. and uh-huh. you even get the other geeks on your side um neil and sam by buying them you know the fake throw up and stuff like that but bill is still re- really reluctant to uh you know even join up with right, them yeah right. um, but yeah just a, and then it's just a funny character too i think my favorite line is uh when neil is walking through the gym and he's just got the the towel around him it's like Schweiber put some clothes on you look like a 50 year old man yeah which uh, is just hilarious uh-huh. so
9: yeah no i love freaks and geeks because it it cut in te- between 10 and 12 percent to uh you know to the back to the future recognition which there's nothing wrong with that at all i was in you know the movies and that, that and that's fine but it's just good to occasionally talk about something else yeah
7: and can you believe it's been like 14 years
9: since Freaks and Geeks? Yeah, 1999-2000. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. That's a long time. <laughs> and well it just tells you this is a show that was canceled that nobody saw when it was on regular TV right. that only became a hit through the DVD collection and we did a shoot for the last for the last uh winter for the Vanity Fair comedy issue. The entire cast of Freaks and Geeks, myself included, um did this whole shoot. About a show that did eighteen episodes that n- no one saw when it was on yeah.
1: TV. Happy two hundredth show, Adam. Do yourself a favor and cherry pick some of your favorite comedian interviews by Adam over at Take a Deep Breath Comedy Nerd Interviews Comedians dot dot com. <laughs> Easier? Try iTunes and Stitcher Smart Radio, or just go to Google and type in the Stand Up Chronicles. We've got a double burst of durst this show. Still trying to get caught up on on Durst here, so I'm going to play you one now, and then one in his usual spot towards the end of the show. This time around, America's Raging Moderate is on about party purity versus puritanism.
10: Hey guys, Will Durst here with your brand new, long-range, highly speculative, freshly updated, totally indispensable 2016 presidential campaign alert. You can feel the anticipation swelling into full bloat as the race for the White House looms right around the corner. Okay, maybe it's a wide corner. But still, what else you got going on? The upcoming Arkansas gubernatorial election? Come on, Arkansas goober, isn't that a bit redundant? Like saying Hollywood facade or New York attitude or North Dakota drowsy? Thing is, with an incumbent president turned out, the comparative action on both sides of the aisle promises to be crazier than Norman Bates on acid stuffed into a steamer trunk on high seas. And while Democrats seem content to hurtle headlong down the path of least resistance to some sort of poorly remembered Clintonian soft landing, on the GOP side, the road's going to be much rockier, with immense, immovable obstacles to be negotiated. And we're not just talking about Chris Christie, either. This is about identity. Party purity versus pragmatism. The threats of boycotts and government shutdowns and distractions over dual citizenships have already filled the air, making it impossible thus far for individual candidates to gain any traction. Factor in further slippage from all the mud being tossed at each other by feuding frontrunners Chris Christie and Rand Paul, and it's a miracle anybody is still standing desperate to throw a positive spin onto things, Reince Priebus, the chair of the RNC, says these debates are good for the party. But to call these barbed attacks debates is like calling a sledgehammer the finger massage. Obviously, this war is just getting started and seems destined to culminate in nothing less than a fight for the very heart and soul of the Republican Party, although admittedly, many folks would argue that neither one of those objects actually exists. For Succotash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst.
1: There's a lot more on his site at willdurst.com, and he's always tweeting at Will Durst on Twitter. In addition to being a national headlining comedian, Jimmy Schubert has shown up in some movies and TV shows and various guest appearances, including Go, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, The Italian Job, Monk, two broke girls and a bunch of other projects. He's now added podcasting to his resume with the kickoff of the Jimmy Schubert show. Before I get to our interview, here's a clip from his Epi 4 with guest Dan Barton, a former stand-up turn writer who did a great little series of books a while back about a stand-up comedian who solves murders while working the road.
11: One night you didn't show up. I was in bed and you didn't show up and the phone kept ringing I'm like is Jimmy there? No. No. Ring, is Jimmy there? No. No. Ring, is Jimmy there? Different voice every time. Different female voice every time. And then finally, you come stumbling. And you go, bro, you don't believe what happened to me. And I was so pissed off. I said, I don't care what happened to you. We get in bed. I just want to get some sleep. You go, yeah, all right. So you fall in bed. We wake up the next morning. I go, come on. We got to get on the bus. You throw back your covers. And you have these red lipstick kisses. <laughs> all over your body. <laughs> and I went, uh, wh- where have you been? And he go. well, remember those six chicks that showed up backstage? And I said, yeah, they were gay. And he goes,
2: they're not that gay, bro.
6: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dude, I forget so many stories. No, oh, right. I
11: mean, I so was like, you know, and I go like, what, 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 what are you telling us? Well, you had a gay with each other, but they were straight with me. <laughs> like, but there was like six of them. You go, oh, don't I know it, bro? <laughs> 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 yeah. It's like working a three-wing circus. All right, we got the elephants over here. We got the clowns in the middle. And now we're going to have juggling for your entertainment. Oh, bro, I tell you. But, I mean, that's just one. That's just one night.
2: I know. I uh, I I was uh, I was a little crazier back then. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm d- a dude, different-
11: you're like a great white shark.
2: And
11: they- <laughs> 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 but i like, but should I tell the story about the dressing room? Yeah, tell the story. I, look, it's an
2: open book. I, you know, you sure? Absolutely. Tell. All a story. All right.
11: Well, this involves Bill, and uh, you know, I know you. You made a couple cracks about Bill, but there was we, we had some good times out on the. No, right. absolutely. All we right. Did. Now here's okay. First of all, I got I can sit here and tell stories about. <laughs> There was a time you got busted at the border. Yeah, there was that And I had to do hey, comedy. All, until. You got st- comedy,
2: bro. It wasn't just a nickname. No, it wasn't no, just a nickname. No. I did. I got locked I, up at yeah, the border.
11: You got, And I had to go and do comedy
2: the next until, night. You,
11: no, until you showed up. And I did show up. And you did show up. Unshowered in the same clothes. And, and I unshowered in the same clothes. And, and I sit there. And like, I walk down. I see you standing in the wings. And Bill's saying, go until I signal you. And he signals me. And I go like, all right. Well. Free on bail. <laughs> it's Jimmy Schubert, and you show him. You go, ladies and gentlemen, you don't believe how glad I am to be here. <laughs> and then you go on and you do twenty killer minutes. I mean, you do you, not. A, you don't lose a step. But there was one. We were at one. We got to perform in all these great old vaudeville theater. You know, yeah. I'm a
2: sucker for old shows. Yeah, and I love that stuff. I know, but I love being. But a, I mean, those I, venues. See, had some real soul cooties on. Them,
11: you know. Oh, we well, we would do. We would perform in these venues that said, like, you know, had plaques of who had been on that stage. Yeah. And you and I were on that stage, and I remember they listed that, like, as a comedian, you're performing on i I'm getting. I'm getting chills right now. I'm getting chills right now thinking about it because I would read the plaque and it would say, "The Marx Brothers, yeah, Ted Healy and his three stooges, yeah, George, uh, you know George Burns, Bob Hope, yeah," and I'm like, I am standing on the same real estate, I'm performing in the same venue, venue, you know, and they had this one place had this dressing room backstage that said it was preserved from when. Miss Lily Langtree, the famed vaudeville star, yeah, well, you know the story no, no. <laughs> she and they had preserved a dressing room that she had used, and they'd gone in, back to the days of vaudeville
2: it was preserved it's preserved like, like, like and it had don't... a
11: little red velvet rope across it, like don't go in and it had these antique furnishings and uh, <laughs> and it was don't go in and every and we look, at, we we all went up there and we looked at it, and, we're like, oh, yeah, man, it was really something. and so. We did our shows, and at intermission, you met this chick who had just broken up with her boyfriend. I go, like, what, are you hooking up with And he go, I don't know, bro. She's just up with her boyfriend. She's broken up with her boyfriend. She's really depressed. I don't know. And I'm, like, doing revisions on some book or some other nerdy crap, and I'm, like, in the dressing room. And like that. And it's time to get on the bus, and Bill's going, well, now, where's Jimmy? I go, well, I don't know. But I think the last I saw was with some girl. And I go, oh, where can he be? And we look in the dressing room, we look everywhere until we notice that the, the door to the Lily Langtree dressing room is closed. <laughs> <laughs> and we go up there. I don't know how graphic you want me to be. We go up there, we put our ears next to it, and it's like, all right, yeah, do it good. Do not we hear it going, oh, oh, going, yeah, that's right. Just like your daddy taught you. <laughs> daddy. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I go to knock on the door, and Bill holds me back and goes, no, no, no. And just silently just goes, no, no. And we hold on, we go, all right. Oh, yeah. Here I go, baby. Here it comes. (laughs) All right. All right. And we go right before then, and Bill goes, Jimmy, we got to get on the bus. <laughs> Jimmy, we got to And it's that same chick, the door opens, that same chick comes stumbling out, of her the, lipstick smeared. Of the Lily Langtree. Of the Lily Langtree. And, like, you're buckling your pants going, you fucking assholes couldn't have waited ten more seconds. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I invite you to catch up with Jimmy Schubert at jimmyschubert.com itunes and stitcher smart radio you can find out more about the man himself right here right now so i have jimmy schubert on the line from uh, los angeles via skype and uh, he is the host of the jimmy schubert show (laughs) just make no (laughs) mistakes about
2: it you hire jimmy schubert you
1: get jimmy schubert (laughs) absolutely so uh, your podcast uh is now what do you have four episodes out
2: Yeah, the the four episodes uh, is dropping. The the fourth episode is dropping tomorrow, and I'm doing my fifth. Yeah, it's relatively. I've been on enough of them. I started doing. I was doing a thing called T to Grin with uh, Dennis Regan and Jackie Flynn, Mm -hmm. and and I decided, you know, between trying to get everybody's schedules to sync up, and you know, because everybody's a working road professional, between doing all that stuff, I thought it would be easier just to do my own podcast. Plus, the Tea to Grin thing is kind of a niche thing for people like. You know, like golf. You know, but it's—I mean, golf is boring enough just to watch it. it, (laughs) Three guys sitting around talking about it. So I decided to do uh, the Jimmy Schubert Show, and and I was coming, trying to come up with a clever name. But you know, when you do this kind of thing, you're in the—you know—it's you try to promote yourself as much as possible. So why not just call it the Jimmy Schubert Show? Uh, yeah.
1: absolutely. it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think uh, marketing this particular medium is very difficult right now uh there's about i think the number about between fifteen and twenty percent of people even know what a podcast is
2: yeah it's uh but the people who do listen to them are loyal listeners and uh you know i mean it's a, it's a if you 're a stand up comic, you get to talk to a thousand people a week. You know, they come to a comedy club on a regular basis, sometimes more than that. So you sit there and you go, uh, you know, listen to my show, go listen to my show. And then, you know, it's another way for them to, um, or another, at least for you, where you don't have to be hysterically funny all the time, there's another interesting side to yourself where you talk about other stuff that you may not be able to talk about on stage for a myriad of reasons. Sure. Now, how long have you been doing stand-up? I've been doing stand-up over 20 years. You so know, you've been
1: doing podcasting now for approximately, well, with the, the golf one, what, for a couple of years?
2: Yeah, I had my own show on Sirius Satellite Radio. And the thing I liked about that, that it already built an audience, as opposed to podcasting, where you have to build your audience, uh, you know, one person at a time. And then you have to do other podcasts. People who listen to podcasts listen to other people's podcasts. Yeah. It seems, to, like you said, in, in, that, in that group of folks that do listen, they seem to be very loyal listeners.
1: Yeah, now one of the things I want to get into uh, was this idea that podcasting is really its own medium. You know, a lot of people have described to their friends as uh, Internet on the radio, which if you remember back, you wouldn't remember this, but uh, in the early days of television, they used to say, well, it's like radio with pictures, uh, and the more I've been exposed to podcasting now, I've had my show for on for over two and a half years. And I've, you know, I really specialize in playing clips of other people's comedy podcasts. Well, yeah, you're like
2: the Larry Sanders of <laughs> the podcasting world. Everybody's doing a podcast and you're doing a podcast about other people's podcasts. <laughs> that's right. Very clever. It's very clever.
1: But there's this idea to me, that's occurred to me that podcasting really is its own thing. It, it, you could say it's like radio and it is, but radio has a lot of baggage. You've got yeah. advertisers networks executives all these different things.
2: Yeah, true, but but you're also being a broadcast. You're also putting on a weekly show that you want that has your name on it. You want the quality of the show to be uh, at a certain level. You're you're really broadcasting.
1: That's true, so- but it doesn't matter if you do 32 minutes or 47 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes. Nobody's yeah. sitting there going, "Hey, this has to be an hour. This has to be a half an hour."
2: Yeah, you don't really, yeah, that's interesting. You're really right. It is its own thing. But I mean, we, you know, people are, you know, people are never far from their phones now. I mean, mm-hmm. they always, they're always listening to something and mine is, you know, it might as well be, you know, your podcast. For all but that. it's
1: just interesting that the, the people that have made the early leap to podcasting, I'm saying early, it's been around for 10 years now, are people that are comfortable in front of a microphone, radio people, comedians for the most part are getting yep. into doing this new medium in television when it started the first people in were radio people and vaudeville people people who yeah. were in front of an audience they were comfortable people in front of a microphone they were comfortable so it's just kind of interesting to see how this new medium is beginning to unwind a little bit and just sort of throwing that at you what's sort of your take at being in the forefront really of a new medium
2: it's very exciting. Uh, you're right. You, you, you did say, well, you know, when radio first came out, all those vaudeville guys went over to radio. That's right. When television came out, all those guys went over to TV. So That's right. They- you know, so not only were you watching these guys like uh, Jack uh, Jack Benny and, and Bob Hope, these guys developed three mediums. They developed, yeah. you know, the vaudeville and, you know, I, I mean, stand-up in its current form. Certainly the nightclub comedian didn't happen till much later. I, I think those were like set routines and stuff. Yeah, I, I'm excited. It, it is exciting because, you know, you never know who's listening. There's a real international audience out there. And, and, and it's funny because uh, this last past year... I've done some international travel. I've been to Israel, uh, Mexico, and and China. And you find that people in those parts of the world listen to your podcast. They know who you are, especially with American comedy. I think American comedy is kind of catching on to a global audience now. For some reason, you know, they're kind of getting hip to it. It's I mean, almost-
1: and yet there's a leveling that's happening that I'm aware of in terms of podcasting. That there's a humor that's now trans. Um- Uh, I guess it's sort of transgressing comedy and is podcast comedy because now I play clips from guys in England and Ireland and Canada and Australia and even Peru that are doing I'm not going to say they're all funny but they're trying and there's a different sensibility it's beginning to emerge it might still take another five years to begin to really define itself but it's very different listening to a stand up do podcasting, who knows what they're doing, but doesn't have that o- immediate audience response, and a podcaster who has no clue what audience response is supposed to l- hear, uh, sound like.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, good for them. They're flying blind. They don't have any <laughs> rules or regulations to hold them back. They kind of, uh, yeah, I, it, it'll be interesting to see the way it develops. I mean, certainly, I think we're in flux. As far as all this technology goes, I mean, you know, I mean, first it was MySpace and Friendster, and then it was this one. Now it's you know Facebook, and and now now it's you know it it just keeps developing and evolving. Yeah. You know, there's a great documentary called The Transcendent Man, where they believe that we're gonna our our biology will eventually our DNA will merge with some of this technology, some of these, uh, and it's it's really fascinating. Uh, I, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I don't think. I, don't, I mean, because really, we're just hairless monkeys with opposable <laughs> thumbs. We got lucky. We build. We build shit, you know. And and then uh, you know, people just like people are dying because they're texting. You know, they have smartphones and they're just they're just not present in their lives. So maybe it's not for everybody, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, you know, they're doing it. We'll see where it goes.
1: Yeah. Now, does, is podcasting. Um surprisingly to you an end to things you've been developing or is it attendant to the stand-up uh,
2: interesting um well there's things i can say on my podcast be- that i don't really get to say on stage so and and i have and i and i'd like to have interesting guests on so and i really kind of get to the the heart of you know uh what I want to talk to them about. and it's, You know, it's like a half hour. And then somebody from my family calls in because I have six brothers. Right. So if it's not my mom or my dad, it's one of my brothers. And they're just calling. You know, my mom called in. I was talking to my friend Dan Barton who used to tour with Sam Kinison. Uh, and he was telling stories. He goes, yeah, I, w- I said I told everybody I was going on tour with Sam Kinison. When I came back, I told everybody I was on tour with you. you were a bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he told some stories what his favorite memories were. And then my mom called in and talked about what a horrible child I was, and I said, "How bad could it have been?" She said, "Well, you were a lot of trouble from the time you were about eighteen months to the time you were about eighteen years." <laughs> so uh, it's kind of you nailed it. You called it like a homie podcast. I mean, you want to you want to have uh, I mean, it's it gives you another way to to an audience, and you don't you don't always have to be funny. Although I like to go on my rants. I like sure. to start. I'm a ranter and a raver. I love, I just find something that drives me crazy, like you know, a lady getting on the plane with a therapy cat will send me off on a <laughs> rant for about ten minutes. It's a two-hour flight, lady. The bills in your purse ain't getting you there. I hardly get the therapy cat's taking you over the top. You know, watch open up a bag of peanuts while you're at it. So a couple of twenty-four. Uh, Road 24 has to hit their kid in the chest with an EpiPen to keep them <laughs> going in anaphylactic shock. And we have to divert the plane and land in Denver and spend three hours on a tarmac because. And anyway, you know, but people are just, just not paying attention, man. People aren't paying attention. They'd rather talk about Miley Cyrus's ass. And what she was wearing, and you know, and it's just—it is ridiculous to me that that you could just. There's so many things that you could that we need to have a national discourse about, and people are talking about. Oh my God! Did you see what my? Who gives a shit? Twenty years old. (laughs)
1: So, yeah. what is the experience like when you're doing stand-up? You're really getting immediate feedback from an audience, right? To your material. When you're doing a podcast, you're doing it, you're recording it, you drop it. You may or may not hear from people because people know you. You probably get emails. I get, you know, I get tweets. Uh, rarely get yeah. emails.
2: Well, it's it's great. You know, I will say this: the great thing I love about it is that you have a direct line to your audience now. You have a direct line to fans. People that are, are, are my fans of my stand-up will listen to my podcast. People that are, that, that, that you know, go to my website will maybe click on my podcast and listen to it. It's certainly, uh, and then they tweet about it or they say other stuff. I mean, I a couple people tweeted an episode I dropped with uh, another guy, Chris DePetta, who grew up in Cleveland during the Danny Green era. So we talked about that, and talked about what that was like, and my, then my dad called in and waited on the Philly mom because my father was a Philadelphia police detective for 25 years, you know. Okay, so, yeah. So it's you, you know, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going. I, I just kind of uh, you know, uh, I, I I I think we're, there's a dumbing down of America. You know, Mm -hmm. you know. If you, I I just want to tell people: listen, if you stop watching this shit, this hillbilly hand fishing, honey boo boo, (laughs) uh, it'll go away if you just stop watching. That's right. I mean, you know. But in in one way, it's very therapeutic. because people, oh, I'm fucked up, but I'm not that fucked up. (laughs) I I I, I have a I have a uh, you know, uh, there's a little hope for me. I don't. don't, I'm not uh, hand fishing yet. Yeah, I'm not hand-fishing yet. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not running lizard-lick towing. I mean, <laughs> there's not a parking war going on. I mean, I believe that you could literally, uh, like, you could go from reality. You could be the fetus in the stomach on MTV 16 and Pregnant, be yes. born. The next show you could go on is Toddlers and tierras Sure. they could go on to, uh, you know, uh, dance moms or something. Nice. I mean, you could literally make your entire. You could go from reality show to reality show to reality show. You'd wind up in uh, rehab. Uh, you know, you, you'd become a hoarder, and they try to take your stuff, and then you would try to pawn some of that stuff <laughs> off. I mean, and then you would try to hide some of it in storage, and then people would bid on your stuff. I mean, you could literally yeah, cradle the grave reality shows on, on a freaking reality show you know and and but that's but that's it i, I call it a societal lobotomy yeah. you know because they don't want people thinking they and a lot of people don't want to think they're just going kind to of want to unstu- unplug their brain stem when they come home from working hard and just watch some mindless entertainment yeah but, but you know but that's you know that's what they so, want
1: so let's uh turn back the hands of time a little bit how did you get into stand-up to begin with
2: uh, I started doing magic when I was about nine years old and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, I was a professional magician when I was 15. I was doing about five or six gigs a month. Uh, I was being driven around by my dad in his beat up pickup truck. I had the shoe box with the holes in it for the doves, little oversized <laughs> hand me down tuxedo. And, uh, you know, I, I we would drive in and do these, uh, you know, I would do churches in West Philadelphia, these black churches in West Philadelphia, because I did a lot of shows for the sick kids <laughs> at St. Christopher's Hospital who were terminally ill. You'd go in and yeah. do magic for them. And that's where I really kind of fell in love with performing, you know. But my personality was just being a goofball. And, I, and I, literally when I was about 18, I just kind of hung up the wand and just kind of just shifted it right over to comedy clubs. <laughs> I started I started in Philadelphia, which is not really a great place to uh, – Philadelphia's kind of <laughs> – Rough town to uh, if you're not funny, they'll let you know it, but it was uh, it was a good start there. I did it for there for a couple of years in Philly and I did it a lot, just kind of immersed myself in it. And then uh, uh I was going to go to New York, but I said if I go to New York eventually, I'm gonna have to go to LA. So then right about that time, I loaded up my car and drove across country and started in LA. And about two weeks after I got there, uh, I uh, I started working at the comedy store as a doorman and doing uh, and and then uh, about a month or two later I started getting doing spots in the belly room and started but it was really I was an active decision to become a stand up comedian. I wish I could go back and chat. I wish I could go back in time, choke that little motherfucker and say, Hey don't
6: do it. Don't do
2: it.
1: Yeah, stay in stay on because there's a lot of money yes. in that.
2: <laughs> I was fucked. You know, no, bro. <laughs> Go to college, son. Get some <laughs> benefits. Uh either way, either way. Uh so no, but uh, but uh yeah, and I started doing it out here and I got a real education. For me, uh being a part of the comedy store during that era uh during the co- was, was really kind of my college. I got to watch some of the best comedians in the country. I got the to tour with the late great Sam Kinison, who was uh certainly uh, uh, a guy who was you know, doing something really unique at that time. I mean, it was a lot of guys were doing unique stuff, but I thought Sam was a pretty influential comedian. But, uh, you know, when he was just doing straight stand-up and wasn't, like, whacked out of his mind, I mean, he was pretty brilliant.
1: And what was your take on him? I mean, you were close to him uh, traveling around and hanging out with him. What was your take on him at the time? And then if you can do it, just sort of looking back, you know, what have we missed out on the fact that he was sort of... You know, he was in this accident that wasn't his fault and taken from us.
2: No, I, I mean, you know, uh, touring with Sam, uh, you know, it was uh, it, it could be great. And, and, then, and then it could be awful, you know, because he, he was a drug addict. There's, there's no question about it. I mean, you know, watch a guy blow off a thirty five thousand dollar gig because he can't get his shit together. I, I mean, you know, and and, and granted, I mean, you know, he wasn't always like that. I mean, the, the, when his little brother, Kevin, committed suicide he kind of spiraled a little bit mm. into the depths of hell. And the problem is when that grief passes, you're stuck with all those bad habits. But I think uh, I got to tour with him when he was stone cold sober, and I thought he was brilliant. Uh, he was a generous guy. He was a good guy. He was, I don't have a, I mean, he put some great moments in my life. I got to uh, go to Philly and play the spectrum. I got to meet, you know, Sylvester Stallone and, and have great cool little moments in my life uh, touring with him. But also there was uh and, and doing the venues. I mean, I loved touring across the country in a bus. You get to see and perform in all these great venues uh, and 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 work, you know, and really kind of develop your stand-up uh, in those size venues. It was like 5,000 seaters. And a guy like Carl LeBeau, who was Sam's best friend, kind of took me under the wing and said, listen, you can't just tell the joke. you got to perform the joke. And that's where I really kind of found my, uh, you know, really kind of found my thing a little bit after he died. I, I went to Florida and took a job as a house MC, hmm. And uh, and that's where I really got good because it was the same crowd coming in six nights a week. And I had to work and write and write. And I really kind of found my voice down there. But I, I learned how to do it watching those guys, Sam Kinnis and the Outlaws of comedy, comedy, you know.
1: Yeah, where do you think he would have ended up today or where he'd be today if uh, he'd still be around?
2: Well, that's a good question, you know, because I look at Dice's career, you know, I think Sam would have, I mean, Sam was cleaning up, he had just gotten married, he was on, he was on, he was on the verge of cleaning up, he had tried it a couple times, he had been in AA, I mean, obviously, when that stuff got its hooks in you, I mean, it's tough to quit, you know, I I watched him, you know, go to AA for 88 days and stay clean and sober, even though he was doing a little bit of marijuana maintenance, uh, I, I he was making a concerted effort. He had gotten yeah. married to They were she was pregnant and planning on having a kid. And look, you can only act like that for so long, but I mean he died when he was thirty eight. Right. I think if he lived to forty two, he probably would have to get his shit together and said, Hey, this is what I really want to do. Yeah. You know, but uh you know, he was doing the Sam Kennis and the Outlaws of Comedy before anybody was doing the blue collar guys or the tour or any of that. Sam was one of those guys, you know, that was that took a bunch of guys out on the road, you know. And, yeah. So a thinking guy, I would think that he would be as relevant today like a Carlin. I mean, Carlin stayed relevant up until he died. Yeah, uh, you know, um, it's funny because uh, I was talking about this with my friend Dan, who said, you know, when Bill Hicks and Sam were alive, they started together in Houston. Uh, you know, Sam was had more notoriety than Bill, but Bill kind of had this secret underground thing. But now in death. It seems like Bill, Bill Hicks mm. has more notoriety in death more than Sam does. I think one of the things that's sad, and, there, and, there, and there's a rumor that there's a biopic floating around out there, and it's probably been flo- floating around for a number of years, but they said they just cast somebody to play it from the Book of Mormon. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if it does get made, that, that there's a resurgence of people taking interest in his actual work. Yeah. Because I thought he was a great comedian. I really did. When he was not, when he wasn't uh, doing drugs, I, I mean, he re- he was really quite brilliant. You know yeah, I, mean? I saw him do I some learned, real
1: rip-roaring sets.
2: You know, I learned a lot watching him. I mean, he was a Pentecostal minister. He prayed with people when they died. He married people. I mean, he had a way of connecting with people that not, that that's some, that's, you just can't learn that, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So it was uh, training for you.
1: To be part of that uh, that party that was traveling with him.
2: What's that? Said it was again? training
1: for you, really. I mean, it was sort of like comedy college for you.
2: Oh, absolutely. You, you know, and at one point, I even said to myself, I mean, because you know, it got out of hand, I said, Sam isn't going to help me get to where I need to be. I mean, he can barely help himself. Yeah. So I would go out and do these venues, and I would invite all the club owners out. I'd invite them backstage backstage. I introduced him to Sam, i pull him aside, i talked talk to him for a little bit, and then when we got back, I'd call him and I'd book a tour in the same markets. And that's really how I got out there on the road making a living doing stand-up comedy. And I did some horrible, horrible runs I hope I never see again. <laughs> some Aiken and grits outpost and Bubba's Belt Buckle in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Uh, <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I really, at one point, I go, I have to do something here. I'm not going to get lost out here on the road. I wanted to kind of... You know, and and that's where I went and crashed Montreal Comedy Festival, and that's really kind of jump started my career again. So,
1: yeah, tell that story how um, you started going to Montreal uninvited, essentially. Well, here's here's
2: what happened. I mean, I was I tried to get invited. I tried to do the right thing for like three or four years. I wore a suit and tie. I tried to give them what they thought they wanted. And then, uh, and then I, I, you know, and then I said, you know what? I'm just going to go. A guy said. Um, uh, a reporter said he was going up to cover it. And I said, you know what? Yeah, maybe I'll go. And I looked into it. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I will go. And I called ahead. The there was a club up there called Jimbo's. And Jimbo's was not part of the festival venue. And I had a couple people vouch for me. He goes, sure, come on up. And we'll put you up whenever. And, and I had some people come out and see me. And uh, uh, I wound up getting a pilot the first year. And and, and they didn't invite me back. I tried <laughs> to get me back. So I said, oh, <laughs> I went up and crashed again. And then I got a development deal from 20th Century and, and Fox. And, and I went up again the third year, and I, and I kept bringing buddies with me because I thought if I could launch my career, anybody could do it. And it seemed like everybody had some good success out of it. I mean, it was a, at that point, that's when it mattered. That's yeah. when that festival mattered. And you could really, if people, if the right people saw you. And Brand Tartikoff, God rest his soul, walked up to me. We Had a 15 20 minute conversation, but everybody from ABC, CBS, they were all watching him and they all wanted to have meetings with me because he was able, he pointed me out, you know, he goes, Mm -hmm. he kind of singled me out, and he was kind of known for somebody who had an eye for talent. So that started this whole frenzied thing of uh, and really got me back because at the time I was living in Florida, I'd moved away because doing stand up in LA was tough because everybody wanted to talk about Sam, but you know, I'm out of here, I'm leaving, I I do not want to do it. Wanted to go work on my craft and then, uh, and, and become a good you know become a good perform get get to where I needed to be as a performer, and and that allowed me to do that. And then with Brandon Tartikoff, it kind of gave me a second chance, and that's when I moved back out to L.A. because I had a manager, I had an agent, I had a development deal, I had all the necessary pieces in place to actually. Get back out here and start auditioning and trying to get go after what, what I was originally wanted to do.
1: And then you got invited to perform at uh just for laughs. So, what happened?
2: Oh, 2001, it was a gala, nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> they invited me up, I did a gala, Spinal Tap was the MC of the show. Uh, great show, yeah, nothing happened, uh, nothing happened, nothing happened. Uh, you know, uh, but, uh, but you've had some luck
1: uh since then, or or a combination of luck, talent, and timing, really.
2: Yeah. It's, it, it's all that. You know, I, I read like, you know, you, well, you read like Frank Sinatra's biography and you realize this dude, I mean, he had his ups and downs when things were great and then things were bad for a couple of years. And, and that's just a career in show business. Yeah. And, and that's the, and if you and to bring it all full circle. I think that's what like podcasting and stuff like that. You're going to keep yourself bu- busy nowadays. Not, not busy, but you got to kind of really work at developing your audience. And I think uh, being a podcaster allows you to connect with an audience, like like social media does as well. And it's really a full time job now. Uh, I mean, before in the old days, you could sleep till twelve, one get up, (laughs) burp, fart, go back to bed. You know, wander down, you know, wandered down to the showroom about eight. You know, boy, boy, have times changed. You know, now you you
1: got got to tweet, you got to status updates.
2: Vine Sad stuff. and all this other crap. You, know, you got a vine. <laughs> you know what? I pick three. All right. I'm Facebooking. I got a Facebook fan page. I got a YouTube channel, and I'm Twittering. Other than that, you can kiss my ass. Now I'm podcasting. All right. I'm not playing the Vine game. I'm not Instagramming. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm not that fucking interesting. All right. I just want to, you know, I just, I just. I mean, you know, I don't... But if
1: Instagram came to you with a deal...
2: Yes, I would. I would Instagram. Sure, I would. Sure, I would. You know, if I was sponsored, if I had a sponsored Instagram account, by all means, I'm not an idiot. Oh, that's
1: funny. Um, So how is podcasting working, as far as you know, as sort of a showcase for what you do? Or does it? Is it just an outlet?
2: No, I I think it's good. I I think it's... um... You know, I have. I realized listening to my podcast, you know, because I do have AD HD. I I, I I don't usually complete my thoughts all the way. Or you know, when you're you're kind of like, you you know, you really I have to listen to it. I'm aware of it. I mean, I haven't done it on your show, but it's on my show, uh, you know, you, you have a uh, have a tendency to, um, you know, especially when you're ranting and you're kind of in the moment. You know, you have a but I'm working on it so i'm working on and I'm giving myself permission to get better like anything like <laughs> acting like stand up you know it's a new medium for me and I'm definitely giving myself a chance to get better That's you know right. I've always considered you know i've always kind of been considered like this blue collar kind of yeah. you know like a you know archie bunker kind of sensibilities you know yeah and at least my on stage persona is so I have a very uh blue-collar sensibilities on, on some kind of problems and rants that I like to do and, and go off on. And I like to open it with a nice rant then I have my guest on, and then someone from my family calls in and starts busting my chops. That's great. Yeah, no, it's a real
1: mixed bag, and it uh, plays very nicely because it is, you know, you have a format, which is interesting. You know, I found myself falling into a format. I started playing clips from podcasts, but I've got a, you know, I've got a phony sponsor, and I, I read tweets, and you just – I don't know if it's training from seeing so much television, listening to so much radio, but you just fall into a format.
2: Yeah. Well, you, I think you need to have a format. I think, uh, you know, they want to hear the, the format of the show. I mean, it's like, you know, it's... And I've had people suggest things to me. Like, you know, I, t- I do take a, I, I do my rant, I take a break, I reset, bring my guests in, and then we take a little break and somebody from my family calls in and we play a couple minutes, uh, not even a couple, but like just a minute of music or whatever. People go, I don't want to hear music. I go, hey, and so I'm resetting, all right, hey, So Let me just reset the mood, do you mind? <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, and especially if you're, you're going after stuff or you're attacking things... I mean, you know, I just and maybe I'm an idealist, but I just, you know, I find so much hypocrisy in this world that we live in, you know, and just that, like these things that I see. That's like, I mean, you know, not, not that this might be a spoiler alert, but you know, I'm a big, huge NFL guy. I love the NFL. I I watch it religiously. I mean, you know, it's just 16 Sundays. I can watch my watch my football. <laughs> it's not on a 186 game schedule, so. But you know, I, and every every October, I cannot enjoy it because they have these warrior athletes wearing pink, <laughs> you know, they, they, it's, and it's very subtle emasculation of these men who are alpha males, and and it's for breast cancer awareness, obviously. And you know, and I just go, you know, I watch football to forget about that. Mm. It's my thing. I just I don't want it on my gridiron. All right. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, and I, I don't want to be an a-hole, but then I started doing some research about how much the NFL gives from that campaign to, to, to curing breast cancer. Not making everybody aware of it, because we're all aware of it. <laughs> you can't turn around anywhere and not see pink or throw a couple pennies in the cup for the breast or everything you see. And then you do some research, and you find out that it's an absolute scam. Mm. It's a scam. It's a big, giant Mental masturbation for them to attract female viewers. Wow. It's it would be the equivalent of me dressing the WNBA up in brown uniforms so men can become aware of colon cancer. We'll put two fuzzy pink testicles off their jerseys. So <laughs> when they run up and down they bounce, we'll remind men to check their testicles. I mean, I'm not being an asshole here, but it's like this is like how about how about you make a concussion awareness month? Because these football players all suffer from concussions and the damage it can do. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> women don't watch football. You know, I'm being generous if I say the fan base is 10%. Yeah. But I, I digress. And I, got, and I digress further by realizing I digressed in the first place. But anyway, it's just it's, I just... It's just it, – it, it, I, I found out some stuff and in and, 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 and the next podcast. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack this a little bit because I think it's just, look, I don't care. I wouldn't care. Here's what, I, here's what I'm saying. I know it's an emotional issue for people, okay? And I wouldn't care if they dressed in, t- in pink for the entire season if you gave more than 8% to find a cure for breast cancer. You know, yes. that's all I'm saying. Yeah. It's such a minuscule amount of money – because the NFL is now listed as a non nonprofit, even right. though, even though <laughs> yeah, right. ridiculous. Yeah, they have some ridiculous. I have it here somewhere. I've done the research. It's like 194 <laughs> billion dollars in uh, revenues, and I'm just. It's. But that's not even. That's not even the biggest scam. The biggest scam is the actual other organization but i'm not going to go into it here but but anyway I, I just that that would be a rant i would do on my show okay cool, and, 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 cool. I, and i an example of something i would go after in the beginning of my show that 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 I, and and i would do it in a kind of entertaining fact-finding way and try to be funny about it but and then we would have you know the guest on and then off to uh, <laughs> off to your family I'm, i am not know to my family i'm beating <laughs> over here like a, i'm blowing up uh, you know,
1: it's funny doing these uh, podcast interviews via Skype because although I do them audio, I get the video and like almost every comic I talk to has a poster from a movie or a TV show they've been in in the background of their studio or their house. Oh, and I see you have Go back there on the wall.
6: Yes, it's so funny. That's hilarious. Which well, you, you know, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, I was really proud of the work I did in Go. That was yeah. my first really kind of uh, big break in film. It was great. Yeah, if I, I move
1: uh, aside, you can see uh, my Santa Junior poster. Uh, that's in the background right. That's that I did for so Hallmark weird. Channel.
2: That's right. We go back. I mean, we, me, and you have met in, uh, when you back, were living back here, and you were writing a bunch of screenplays. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For the Hallmark Channel, you, I think they bought three, or did, they bought, they bought six,
1: six, made three, and uh, yeah. So that was all good.
2: And, and uh, I'm sure. You, Still a check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, still yeah. got checks.
1: That's great. Well, I, yeah. so the
2: thing yeah. is, I, you know, my, my guest this week on my podcast, Dan Barton, who's quarterfinally You quarterfinally. Yeah, we talked about him
1: uh, before and the, the uh, books he wrote, which I read all of them, by the yeah, way, the detective great. books. Some uh, yeah. people I don't know, and I don't know if these are still in print or not, but he wrote a series of books about a comic who's kind of a middle act, and he's also an amateur detective.
2: Yeah, it's like Agatha Christie meets Seinfeld, and uh, it's uh, it's really the guy winds up solving cases, but the guy's a badass. I like I like the guy's character's name is yeah. Biff King Cade. And, uh, yeah, you were, you were going to help him develop that, but he's actually starting to do some writing now and trying to get uh, some going out with some pilots. But, I mean, it's an incredibly difficult thing to break into. The fact that you sold three. Is amazing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. most people been around this town for ten years with one. Yeah, someone yeah. buy it. It's great. I go, no, if oh. you're a writer, you know you gotta write and write and write. Right. It's a real discipline. I mean, you know that 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 I will say I like about the podcast. I find myself finding and looking for things to talk about specifically on my podcast that I wouldn't necessarily talk about on stage. So right. it keeps gazed and some stuff that uh, and, and looking for interesting guests. You know? uh,
1: yeah, and that's, uh, you know, you're funny. You look at television and radio and how they burn through guests. Podcasts put them all to shame. I have a theory that if you hear a comedian guest on nine podcasts, they will then be starting their own. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because I'm outlining a book now because I've, been, I've read my name in several books. I was oh, in- really? I was in Jimmy Walker's book. I was in Mark Marin's book, The Jerusalem Syndrome, yeah. when he had at the Comedy Store. I've written a story for um, – uh, 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 there was a story about the True Road Stories of America's Greatest Comedian called Killing or, or – uh, I forget. It's Mark Schiff and oh, yeah. uh, oh. uh, uh, Rich Scheidner. Scheidner, Scheidner, yeah, yeah. Had a bunch of people submit stories, and my story made the cut on that. So uh, I forget the, the title, people can Google that, but, it, but, but I was in there and I just started saying, you know what, I should write my own book. Let me it's like the same with podcasts. You do enough podcasts, you know, I could do this. This, is, this yeah. isn't that difficult. I mean, I don't think, I, mean, I have a lot to talk, I have a lot to say, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not, have to worry about.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm working on a pilot right now with a co-writer buddy of mine that you would be perfect for, by the way. Uh, it's well, ba- it's based on his story he uh, did for Playboy magazine about uh, ticket hustlers. And it's about a group of ticket hustlers in kind of the mid uh, like 2005, 2006. And you'd be a great character for one of these ticket. These scout. Scal- they're kind of like scalpers, but the next
2: right. them level up. Right, right. Ticket ushers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, they, that's 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 a that's a whole. That's a whole like, kind of. That's a great idea, actually, because it's a great world to go into. Because you got that live sporting events and people trying to get tickets all the time. It's like, yeah,
1: you know, we we had pitched this about six years ago to HBO, and they they turned it down eventually. And they, you'll love this. They said, "We don't think people know that much about this world." Are you kidding me? Yeah, like I mean, people I, like people tune in to watch uh, detective shows because they know all about police procedure.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, there's a great book out. I think you get a kick out of it called. Uh, A Martian would never say that. Yes. Yes. You know that book? It's a book of network notes that was given to writers. (laughs) And the guy said, how do you know what the fuck a Martian would (laughs) say? I mean, you know, it's like, you know, network notes. uh, Stories of guys that have gotten network notes on their product.
1: Yeah, I've got some of the best notes in the world. I should write my own book. It's fantastic. Yeah,
6: yeah.
1: Well, um... listen, Wendy, your show appears, do you drop on a regular basis?
2: Yeah, we drop Thursday. Uh, I think it drops Friday morning, uh, first thing in the morning. And I, my my episode, people go to Schubert dot com. They're usually right. listed right on my right on my front page there. Uh, but my my IT guy went, was away this weekend at a wedding, so he hasn't put that up yet. Although it is on iTunes. Okay. So if they come to Jimmy Schubert show, they can listen to the the the, 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 the last episode uh, with my friend Dan Barton, and then. Um, I'll play woman, a clip. I'll play a clip from that show uh,
1: uh, attendant to this interview.
2: Yeah, he talks. He kind of throws me under the bus a little bit. He talks <laughs> about my antics on uh, being on tour with Sam for some reason. Okay, I was
1: okay. Yeah,
2: you know, I, I was a, a little bit of a magnet for the ladies.
6: Oh, I see. And,
2: uh, and we went to one of these older theaters <laughs> where they had this red velvet rope around Lily Langtree's dressing room from like the early Vaudeville days, and oh, this wow. was. Lang its in pristine condition reserved from that era and uh you know the bus is getting ready to take off. goes and uh, bill sam's brother goes where's Jimmy at and he goes I don't know I can't find him and then they come up upon this room and the doors closed and there's some moaning and some things going on and, and then <laughs> i don't wanna, i don't want to be a spoiler alert but it's actually uh, it's a, actually a funny episode dan Dan's very funny as you know he used to do stand-up and now he's a He's a writer and stuff. but uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Now, now I'm surprised you're uh, four episodes in and no network has snapped you up. None of the uh, Nerdist or any of those people.
2: Well, you know, give it a chance, man. I, I, got, I got a little bit of work to do on me. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it better. I mean, like you said, you really got to strive to make it better. It's, it's got to be something you're actively working on. Yeah, you' know, good test and good subject matter and I I mean I, I mean you got to listen to all these podcasts I mean where do you get the time in the day I mean that's amazing I mean you know it's I mean I can listen I can listen to three and I do I listen to I listen to the WTf podcast I love I love marks I've listened to a couple episodes of yours but it's funny I, the more I listen to the more I'm getting sucked into the podcast yes. yeah girl. yeah no it's tough, you're out.
6: believe me they pull you back in <laughs> <laughs>
2: But I, I, I the, the more I kind of skirt around this world, the more I, I find myself getting involved, and it's great because you know I'm going to want to walk, I'm popping my earphones, and listen to a couple of podcasts. So it's it's really it's uh we'll see where it goes. It's very interesting for sure.
1: Excellent. Well, welcome to the world of podcasting. Thanks for good. having me on,
2: man. It was great seeing you, even Thanks, though it's a uh, it's a great talk with you. And uh,
1: uh, absolutely, I'll be down in L.A. pretty soon, so I'll give you a call. Maybe we can hang out. Yeah, maybe be a guest on my podcast. All right, buddy. <laughs> right. So take it easy, Mark. Thanks, take care, man. Thanks again to Jimmy Schubert for that interview, which was actually the second interview. We'd done one about a week ago, which was lost in a technical crash and burn while I was traveling on the road. And Jimmy was kind enough to Skype it up with me one more time. Be sure to listen, rate, and review The Jimmy Schubert Show up on iTunes and find out more at jimmyschubert.com. All right. There's not a whole lot going on in the Tweet Sack this week, at least in terms of people sending anything in, but we really do appreciate all of the tweets, retweets, and follows that we've been getting on Twitter. Did you know that you can also like us on our, sh- our Succotash Show page on Facebook? Well, you can. In fact, you can even listen to the show streaming on that page thanks to the Libsyn app that we have up there. All right, how about a list of people that mentioned or accidentally got their name curt- connected to Succotash Show this week on Twitter? Here we go. Jason Lawhead... Sasha Talens, The Pod Mafia, Barrel House Red, One Dollar Beer, Towlin Monk, Mary Haran, Stand Up Chronic, Anti-Semantic Show, Act Sci Theater, Hey Snowflake, One Dollar Beer Again, OTR Next Gen, Inverse Delirium, Rev T23, better known as Tyson Singer, David Feldman, Ed Wallach, Chaz Productions. Podcast Whore, Monica Hamburg, Davian Dent, X-Gen Geek, Mission Log Pod, Lonely Joanna, Broadcast Basement, Utter Tosh Pod, The RVS Podcast, Cranky Mom of Two, F. Paul Comedy, Core Evil 2103, Story Worthy, Projectors Pod, Ultimate Facepalm, Alone Podcast, Pod Socks, John Anilio, Marita Inzer, Murphy's Mercs, Salty Language, An Idiot at Home, Nate Jones, Downtown B&B, and Ian Lee. Now here's a rundown of all the kind folks who clicked the donate button up on the succotashshow.com website this past week to help us offset the cost of producing this free podcast. Here we go. So we are coming into the home stretch in our serializing of the Boganwood podcast miniseries. Before we get into episode seven, the second to last in the first season, let's spend a few minutes with series creator Jason McNamara. I asked him about what sorts of feedback he's been getting on the series, and he also gets into the process that he uses to vet the scripts before he records the episodes. What sort of response have you gotten? You mentioned some of your friends and whatnot you've heard from, but... uh... What, uh, what sort of response are you getting and from where? I mean, because uh, Boganwood may be uh, in Canberra, but it's international.
12: Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the stats itself, I deliberately um, decided to not look necessarily at the stats. But in some cases, because it's fed through the d Factor and it's its own beast as well, um the there's more listeners to Boganwood than there is the D head factor. Um, <laughs> oh that's true. Yeah it it, it is true. Yeah it's it's it, it's an interesting um thing cuz we we had a fan base obviously for the D head factor but Boganwood um G when I first gave him um G um, over at the g and j show yeah. I gave him the original concept and recorded it and showed him it and just asked for feedback on it and stuff. Um the one thing he said to me straight off the bat was keep it separate it's it's its own universe yeah. don 't make it a d DAD factor franchise he said uh yeah it's all good to play it on the d factor, but don't mention the d factor on boganwood right. he said keep it a completely separate beast, and so I did that, and the stats itself yeah it's, it's we've got a lot a lot more listeners than I thought we would have um considering and it's in a lot of different places, plus there's the blog as well, everything that's scripted out before I uh read it on the actual recording yes I also put up on the blog of boganwood.com and the boganwood.tumblr.com and stuff for people that like to read those web series as well so it's it's got its own little universe so I would definitely say that the listener base is bigger than the D-Ed Factor Um, and Although, again, it's like anything, Uh, you don't get as much uh, necessary feedback. Uh, Some of the biggest people that comment on it are either people that are fans of The DO Factor over in Ireland and stuff like that, or, of course, other podcasters who are always there to kind of Mm -hmm. give you that word of advice of how well they're loving it and stuff. Um, But there's a listener in Australia called Dean Mays who's an author, and he wrote all these books called Handle Down Dream and stuff like that, and he's... Every time I put out a new episode his feedback is always oh that was brilliant, this was good and stuff and I thought I must be doing something right after the oh. actual published author is giving me feedback <laughs> saying he's enjoying it so oh that's
1: great yeah. that's great
12: it's good it's good the yeah. um the story itself i think it just comes down to misspelling when i'm writing it um <laughs> even when i it goes through the sifter before i release the episode the actual written script goes through my wife and um josh and uh scott the three Mm -hmm. um so the script itself will go through those three and then they'll give me advice and the only advice i usually get is take that comma out that that one doesn't make sense but uh, i'm sure you understand what it is like when you're reading it off a piece of paper sometimes it doesn't sound as good so you kind of create its own little flow um and i think that that works as well so yeah it is fun Welcome to Boganwood, Australia, Canberra's forgotten suburb. In today's adventure, we jump straight back into the action as we check in on Dingo and Bricko as they tackle the problem that is Diesel and Jimbo. We also find out what happened to Sheila. Sheila stared at what was in front of her, confused over the events that had just unfolded. What the fuck was going on? What the fuck had Jimbo just done? It had all happened so fast she didn't even have time to put the pieces together. And now here she stood, trying to think of what her next move should be. Bricko and Dingo didn't know what to do. They had to think quick. Yeah, Dingo had come up with a plan, but that would take some time, and that was something they surely didn't have. Diesel grabbed Dingo from behind and spun him around and fucking hit him in the gut. Bang! What the fuck, you fuck with? Don't hit me, mate! Diesel laughed as he went to hit him again, but this time Bricko fucking launched. Stop the shit! Jimbo yelled at him. We need to start working out how we can get what is owed to us. These are the fuckers that rolled me, Diesel explained. What the fuck drugs are you on, you silly cunt, Bricko said to Diesel. At the fucking club. You and your mate rolled me, you bogan fuck. It was at that time that the realisation kicked in for both Dingo and Bricko as they realised who Diesel was for the first time. You're the cunt from the club that tried to man us that time. You got a lucky punch on me, that's all, Diesel said as he laid another boot into Dingo on the ground. Stop this shit, Jimbo yelled. We can get to the revenge part as soon as we discuss a few things. What the fuck, Jimbo? What's all this shit about? And more to the point, what have you done with fucking Sheila, you darrow fuck? Hey, I ain't done nothing to Sheila, Jimbo said. I dropped her off at... Fucking Centrelink, Sheila yelled at the top of her lungs. The fucker Jimbo had dropped her off at Centrelink. What the fuck was going on? She thought to herself, how the fuck did this happen? And what should she do next? This is exactly where she wanted to be, but the feeling that something bad was about to happen kept creeping in on Sheila. The choice, as it stood to her, was not a fucking simple one. Either go and get a doll check, or go and save Dingo and Bricko from Jimbo. What the fuck? This wasn't even a choice in old Sheila's books, and she had to think of a plan. So Sheila walked into Centrelink, past the people standing in line. "'You dropped her off a fucking link. "'What the fuck plan is that, you silly cunt?' Jimbo laughed. "'I had no intention of hurting Sheila. "'She hasn't hurt anyone. "'Or much. "'But you guys owe me some money for the whole supermarket incident. "'And it appears you may owe old Diesel a few things.' "'Diesel kicked fucking Dingo again,' and laughed. "'Stop kicking me, you cunt!' "'Dingo mumbled as the pain hit him in the ribs. "'You touch him again?' And I'm gonna fucking hurt you, princess, Bricko said to Diesel as he stared at him. Diesel smiled and kicked Dingo again. And Bricko was about to launch when fucking Jimbo yelled, Enough! What the fuck? Are you fucking children? Can't you fuckers get control of yourselves? We're here to discuss business, and after I get what I want, Diesel, you can have what the fuck you want. Fair enough, mate, Diesel said to Jimbo. What do you want? Well, for starters, I think I'm entitled to a bit of pension, so to speak, for me old busted leg and stuff, and since you boys look like you've had a good old day, maybe I should take a small percentage, Jimbo said as he's made his way up to the house. What did you make today? Where's the money? He said to Pricko. It was at that time that Dingo started to laugh. What the fuck are you laughing at? Jimbo said. Well, Jimbo, it appears that we don't have the money on us, sorry. What do you mean you don't have it on you? Well... As we thought you had, Sheila, we needed some of that, you know, collateral stuff. So we hid it around the back of the neighbor's house on a couple of bikes we grabbed on the way here. Well, ain't that fucking convenient, Jimbo said. Yep, Dingo continued. And we figured we could trade the money for Sheila. But as you don't have her anymore, let's make a trade for you guys to stop fucking hurting us. Well, that would depend on how much money is there, Jimbo said. As it is, Jimbo, the money is actually on the bucket attached to the bikes. Dingo continued. And if you were to take the bikes and the money, you would have yourself a nice little nest egg. Now, Dingo, you wouldn't be setting me up, would you? Nah, mate, we just want to end all this crap. Yeah, it all sounds a bit too convenient, and there's something fucking not right about this, Jimbo said. Trust me, mate, it wasn't my fault you busted your whole fucking leg. That was an accident, and I don't want you to be disadvantaged any longer, Diesel said. Well, how does this sound? I'll take Brico with me, and you stay here with Diesel, Jimbo said. Okay, I'm happy with that plan, then let's fucking do it, Bricko said as he made his way past Jimbo around the corner. Jimbo started to follow as Diesel stared down at Dingo again. Now, me and you can have some fun, Diesel said as he punched into fucking Dingo. Jimbo rounded the corner and he could smell something fucking wasn't right. As he turned around the corner away from Diesel's view, he could see the bike standing in front of him with the bucket attached to the handle he slowly made his way to the bikes. Oi, Bricko, where the fuck are ya? Brico was nowhere to be seen, but the bikes were laying up against the neighbour's house, and as Jimbo moved forward, he noticed there was fucking glass on the ground, where a window had been smashed. Now that was fucking weird, and Brico was still nowhere to be seen. None of it made any sense, and Jimbo decided to start walking back to his own house when he heard a cop car behind him. Sirens fucking blazing, coming down the street. Diesel laughed as he fucking punched into Dingo again. As he pulled back his hand for another punch, fucking Bricko appeared out of nowhere and punched old Diesel in the face. Diesel was stunned and didn't have time to think as fucking Dingo jumped off the ground and stood above him. ''Now, Princess, you can't be hitting me like that,'' Dingo said. ''Now, didn't I warn you not to touch him again?'' Bricko asked. ''Pretty sure I did.'' but there's something we can work out inside, as it's going to get busy out here real fucking fast. Bricko, Dingo and Diesel entered Jimbo's house to have yet another discussion. Now, I don't think I'll need to tell you too much detail, but let's just say fucking Diesel got what he deserved. A couple of minutes later, Dingo and Bricko walked out of the house, with Bricko sporting himself a nice new security jacket. ''Oh, good to you, you, fuckers!'' Diesel yelled as they closed the door behind him. They looked around for a motor transport, and there was Jimbo's car parked in the driveway. How fucking convenient. And as they started to make their way toward it, a police officer pulled up alongside of them. ''Hello, officer,'' Bricko said in his nice new jacket. ''We chase those guys that stole them bikes to the house next door,'' Bricko said. ''Thanks, boys. Let me know if you see anything sus,'' the police officer said as he shot down the road. Bricko and Dingo laughed at the success of Dingo's bright idea and continued to make their way to Jimbo's car. We need to get Sheila Bricko. She'll be worried about us. Fuck yeah, mate. We need to hurry up as well. As they reached for the door to Jimbo's car to get in, there was fucking Jimbo sitting in the front seat and you thought he looked pissed before. Well, that's nothing compared to the way he fucking looked now. Rule number one in Boganwood, boys. Don't call the fucking cops. So that's where we leave the boys for today, with a pissed off Jimbo. But that's another story to be continued yet another day. Now it shouldn't go without mention that Jimbo was right. You should never call the cops in Boganwood. But what he didn't know was, technically they didn't. The neighbours did it after some fucker threw a brick through their window. But that's another story and will be continued another day. Boganwood is a place of many adventures and things have a tendency to work themselves out. Come back to Boganwood to find the answers to the questions. What will happen to Dingo and Bricko? Did Sheila ever get her fucking Centrelink check? All of this will be answered in the final episode of Season 1. And remember what they say in Boganwood? You can't fuck your neighbour.
0: You just experienced Boganwood. Go to Boganwood.com for more awesome shows or check them out on iTunes or Stitcher.
1: So we have one more episode left of the Boganwood mini series coming up uh, in our next episode. In the meantime, you can go to boganwood.tumblr.com um, or just boganwood.com. You can go to iTunes. You can download all the episodes at uh, tumblr.com. You can also read each of the uh, the chapters that uh, that Jason has typed out. So uh, we will uh, have one last little bit of interview with Jabs uh, next time, and we'll uh, finish off. Series one. Series two is just around the corner, by the way. Our second burst of Durst this show uh, has Will waxing on about the recent Labor Day holiday.
10: Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about Labor Day. You know, it's been around since 1894 when Grover Cleveland signed it into law six days after the end of the Pullman strike, during which federal troops killed about 30 strikers. So Labor Day was kind of make-up sex between the government and the American worker. Flowers and candy, anyhow. The first Monday of September was picked to bridge the long holiday gap between the 4th of July and Thanksgiving. And for 120 years, it's always been sort of the red-headed stepchild of holidays. Something to show off to Child Protective Services. Look, we gave you a whole day, now give it a rest, would you? What do you want, cake? And because of its placement in the calendar, not so much a jubilation as it is a seasonal signal flag. Here lies the tired, dried-up body of summer. Time to roll up the wading pool and pull down the snow shovel. The lazy days are over and school and football are ready to kick off. A final chance to party in the long light. Meanwhile, the meaning of what we're commemorating has kind of gotten lost in the last blast of beer, baseball, and barbecue. Labor Day is supposed to be the day we set aside to celebrate our workers. One single day off, so the real heroes that make this country great can hang with their families and friends before squaring their shoulders and getting back to the job of earning a living and carving out a future. One day to catch our breath and celebrate the ordinary working folk of America. The pistons that keep the gears of this country pumping strong. And no need to bring any gifts. Although that whole flowers and candy thing is never a bad idea. For Succotash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst.
1: Get heaping helpings of Durst at willdurst.com and you can always read his tweets at Will Durst on Twitter. Well, friends... That's the end of our time together, at least as far as Epi68 goes. I want to thank Jimmy Schubert for doubling up on an interview so I could at least get one of them out. Also thanks to our Succotash staff, engineer producer Joe Polino, booth announcer Bill Haywatt, and booth assistant Kenny Durgis. Apologies to our honorary associate producer Tyson Zayner for not being able to get to the great clips he's been sending along. Most of them we'll keep until next time, though, so don't despair. And here's a reminder to you comedy podcasters out there, you are always invited to shoot us a three-to-five-minute MP3 clip of your show. Just send it along to clips at succotashshow.com. Even though I'm about to head out, stick around after Bill Haywatt's done with our official goodbyes, and you will hear a very original recipe from Chef Se- Seamus all the way from Ireland, I believe. Until next time, please remember to pass the succotash.
0: You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. brought to you by Henderson's Pats. And imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, or on Stitcher Smart Radio. You can also like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show, email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com, or call into the Suckatash hotline at our toll call number, 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our musical director is Scott Carby. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt. Reminding you to please pass the succotash. Goodbye.
13: Hello, this is fucking Sammy So from the Strange Town Show and from the fucking feast podcast Oh, and occasionally I do just a little bit of fucking crap and the bit sound fucking thing for that asshole Davey and fucking Dent Anyway, uh, they've been talked into doing a fucking recipe Someone liked my fucking uh, dick cheese sandwiches that I made for fucking Mr Dent He seems to fucking enjoy them He loves the fucking dick cheese He eats fucking gallons of it say gallons, but I mean kilos, and stole a very large amount of it, he rolls back from his fucking foreskin, and nimmers away at it, as the English would fucking do. So, uh, apparently, um, you like having recipes on your little recipe podcast, and it's called, uh, what the, it's my favorite show, it's the, uh, what's it, the soccer, yeah, fucking, I had a fucking, I didn't know that way, did I, the like, soccer, fucking, soccer, what the, oh, soccer tash. what the fuck, okay, right, soccer tash. fuck, okay, right, yeah, uh, fucking supposed to be making a fucking recipe of that. Apparently it's a fucking very nice dish. Um, but uh, of course we're doing it the fucking Irish style. Um, so it'll we'll probably be all fucking deep fried. Okay, so fucking hell. Look at that, it's got fucking vegetables in it. What is the fucking hell? What does everybody else is this? Two cups of frozen broad beans. I've got fucking broad beans. Let me look in the fucking... I look in the fucking cupboard i check for broad beans. Right. There you have, Fucking the Fucking... Store. Oh, got no fucking broad beans, so what I'm going to do, I've got some rabbit droppings. I've got a shitload of fucking rabbit droppings. I'll scrape those fuckers up, put them into the fucking bowl. Okay, <coughs> <coughs> that's fucking, aid, get, fucking it. that fucking it. It's fucking hard, though. It? Sorry. It's basically not. Let's stick that bastard out. See, just keep the rabbit droppings in there. It's very fucking nice. They start to go fucking green ferment and go off. So they fucking... Yeah, they're a nice little fucking waft to them. They're a nice little odour, if you know what they're fucking talking about. That smells like fucking... Like, um... Irish morning bread—it's kind of like that, only with a little bit fucking, a little less Guinness in it, or no, whiskey, you can chat like that. Right, twenty-five grams of butter. Right, well, if you listen to my life, it's me, your fucking one-eyed fucking cock rabbits. You'd fucking know for sure I've got no fucking butter in my house, so I'll be using dick cheese again. Now, fortunately, uh, Mister Davy and Dent from the Bitter Sand podcast has sent me a fucking ton of dick cheese because uh, he mass produces it. I don't know what he fucking does—he's got some nasty violin fucking faction. So. I've got, a, I've got a large fucking spoon in the other fucking side of the skirt. Confidential Hey, Get the fucking bowl of dick cheese! That fucking skate this. Uh, geezer, that's fucking terrible. Of course, it got a fucking whiff to it if you don't mind. That <coughs> fucking punch inside if you don't mind me saying. It. <coughs> so, I've got fucking about half a kilo of fucking dick cheese from uh, some English cunt. <coughs> uh, one medium onion. Uh, one medium red onion, sorry. Red onion. Fucking. Fucking comedy, fucking right, uh, one medium red onion, finely chopped. Right, when this is chef's cooking, and we don't cut fucking shit. Let me tell you, and it's some fucking English bastard in the Union Jack called saying this land is my land. We cut his fucking throat. So, one of a red onion, this fucking. here? You go. Just toss that bastard in. hold, Let the fucking. And um, just you can eat that later. Fucking going back dice and shit, It's fucking to waste of fucking time if you ask me. You cut into your fucking drinking time, and that's no time like the present. I'm gonna have a quick sip of my fucking uh, Guinness <sighs> Ah, yeah. Gee, tastes like fucking shit. Right, okay what else you got here? Uh, two primo meat rashes of bacon trimmed and chopped. Primo ra- oh fucking hoiky toity, Mr. Fucking Stockatachy fucking show. Yo, some primo meat rash of bacon, fuck that, this is some fucking dead that I found on the fucking kitchen floor. Right, Mr. Mousy, in you fucking go. Uh, right, now we've got two cloves of garlic. Fuck, is it flipping some fucking French food? Garlic, whoop, well, you we haven't none of that fucking shit. Oh, uh, next we got there uh, one uh, red capsicum. A capsicum. Fucking hell, a capsicum? What's that? A fucking, some mythical fucking vegetable? A capsicum, who's ever heard of a fucking capsicum? No one's fucking using that. You can fuck off. Right, capsicum, my fucking asshole. Right, uh, two cups of corn kernels, I've got the shitload of those fucking things. And, right, the fucking i oh, eat ones. And, that's an awful bad of fucking, uh, fucking bucket load of those fucking things. One cup of pure cream where oh, of cream. That's no, a quarter cup of cream. Sorry, I didn't have my fucking wanking glasses on. Thank you very much. Into the freezer, I go! And here. Oh, I've only got the sour cream. Yeah, pure cream, sour cream, well, it doesn't matter a fuck. Hey! in that goes, kick that in. Go ahead and put the rest of that back in the fucking bridge. Not waste any more new fucking pikey cunts. Then I'm know, pure cream, and um, half a cup of freshly chopped fresh, flat leaf, parsley leaves. Ooh, oity-toity. How can I find a fucking... Look, I've got some mascara on this loaf of bread over here. I'm just fucking, i cut, wait a minute. fucking stab a knife, cut the fucking, cut the fucking off the fucking bread, bring it back over here, and drop it back in. Ooh, that's very nice. Right now, what do you mean method? Hang on. Oh, I wasn't supposed to be mixing all the ingredients all at once. Well, we're doing this Irish style. And this is fucking crap, because there's not one fucking potato in this fucking recipe. So I'll be just changing things in a little bit. Yeah, where's your fucking, uh, mm-hmm. pumpkin mm-hmm. version of the fucking mallet? Right, get that one, the bastion, there's a big one. I'm like fucking mash this bastard properly. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, I've got a great big fucking potato mess and fucking um, mallet and I'm giving this fucking potato a right good scene too because you're always going to have potato in a fucking traditional like Irish dish I don't give a fuck what it is but it can be fucking breakfast still, it's having fucking potatoes in it Here, that's what I'm doing I'm actually looking up this fucking recipe on my fucking Irish um, potato phone It's just a potato with a fucking apple strapped to the back of it with a bit of gaffer tape and a nail So, if you don't fucking like that, you can shove it straight up your fucking arsehole Right, now I've got the potato, you put it on the bench, nice and carefully, and you splash it like that. Oh, that's nice and flat, right, potato in, i get a fork one whistle. Come here, you fucking dirty god, right there. Right, in that goes, just stir it around a bit, oh, it's a little bit dry, Maybe a little bit of, just spit on a little bit, stir it around. <laughs> yeah, lovely, that'll help lubricate it up a little bit for you fucking dirty hobbitses. Right, so you stir that up. They're cooking a oh, fucking head. You to cook this shit as well. Oh, different steps, there's three steps to this fucking meat. Well, what we're doing, we're just gonna shove it in the fucking microwave and we'll cook it for about, oh I'd say, eh, about a good 40 minutes I'd say in the microwave. It opened, if you gotta open, or an oven, we've got an oven, a hole, a fire pit, anything like that. Just shove it in and fucking burn it. So, um, luckily for you cunts, I've got one here I prepared earlier. And, oh, it looks fucking vile if I don't mind saying so, all we said. Look, I, uh, I taste it, but I feel like I'd probably fucking be very, very sick. So, look, I won't be touching that. I think I'll just throw that straight at the fucking door. That's fucking horse shit. Right? Where's the quantity? Look it Give me that. Alright, ah, we contain it. We a spat of this fucking horse shit in. Uh, oh no, look, i Ah, shit. <coughs> yeah, fuck that. I'm telling you, I'm not eating any of this fucking shit. So, Kattash, it's a fucking vile-looking fucking meal if I've ever seen one, apart from the potatoes, which are only the fucking only redeeming feature this pile of this shit's fucking got. So, in closing, um, I don't know why I fucking bothered with that. I've wasted two fucking perfectly good potatoes, mixing it with other fucking miscellany little vegetables and a pound of fucking Debian dead stick cheese, which is fucking possibly the worst thing on the planet, apart from maybe Mark Hershman's, whoever the fuck that is. This has been Samus Sokont. Cook a few fucking idiots. A nice big fucking pile of Sokotash. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please go to the rigid fist, uh, uh, dot com and uh, download the show or two and rub one out while watching pictures of my little fucking head on the internet. This has been Sammy Sokont. Uh, good day.